welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome. I am so happy to have you here and I'm so excited about today's episode. I interview Samantha Fulton, who's a physical therapist, yoga teacher, but you guys, she's way more than that. (laughs) She approaches the body in such a beautiful way. And in fact, I met her last year when I went to see her for my own physical therapy needs, which you will learn about in the episode. But today we're talking about the nervous system and how the nervous system affects our relationship to food as well as our digestion. There's so many juicy nuggets (laughs) in this episode, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Be sure to stay tuned until the end because Sam offers a beautiful practice for bringing our nervous systems back into calibration when we're off. And this has implications that go far wider than just bringing ourselves back to a state of homeostasis. This influences how we digest, but it also influences how we think about our own bodies. And I think throughout this episode, perhaps my hope is that you'll learn to have a little bit more compassion for yourself. All right, let's get to it. Sam, welcome. I'm so thrilled that you are here and that you're actually my first guest on my podcast. Ooh, I am? Yes. I'm so happy to be here. I'm even more honored to be here now that I know I'm your first guest. I think you can only go up from here because I am not used to being interviewed. So here we go. Not even (laughs) possible. Not even possible. So we're going to start with a question that I ask all my guests starting now because you're my first. And the question is, just so that we can start to get to know you and your background, before we jump into some of the juicier details around nervous system and food, I want to know a little bit more about you. So if you could share, what is your cultural upbringing and how has that influenced your relationship to food? (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm chuckling and breathing. Mm. Yeah, I'm laughing and breathing. I have to do both when I think <laughs> about that. And I didn't even realize how deeply rooted it was until we started having this conversation a few months back, starting our work together. So I I grew up with my mom. My parents were split since I was very young. And so I lived with my mom and my younger brother. And my grandparents lived upstairs from us. So we were very sort of communal extended family oriented. And my father actually lived with his parents as well. So I had it on both sides. Wow, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. I'm not sure. It's great and other things. (laughs) It was great in a lot of ways. But we were very Italian, very food oriented. My grandparents were very focused on food as sort of the indicator on how everyone was doing. (laughs) So it was like food... Yeah, food was comfort. Food was, it meant social engagement. It meant family gatherings and family meals. Yes, but it was also, you know, how good you're doing. I say good with air quotes. You know, like, what's wrong? You're not hungry? (laughs) Why didn't you finish your plate? You know, here, you look sad. You look tired. Insert word. You look sick. Here, have something to eat. 
you know. So food was the remedy for all emotional distress. <laughs> it was the remedy. Yeah, we joke. <laughs> we joke that the Italian psychotherapy is mozzarella. Here, have just have a slice of mozzarella, whatever's bothering you. Some people say like garlic is the Italian penicillin. We kind of used it to treat mental illness as well. Oh, I love that. I, I say that with a warm and open heart. I don't say that to mock mental illness at all. It's very present in my family. And so we needed, a lot of us needed other medicines too, but that's our running family joke. My mother was definitely more progressive though. I kind of watched her try to figure it out. She worked full time. So my grandparents were caring for us a lot, but my mom did cook like very whole foods. You know, our meals were always, always very complete. So there was always a protein and a starch and a veggie and a dessert. Wow. And we had to eat it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And did you eat at home most nights or was your mom cooking most nights? Yeah. Yes. We hardly ever went out to eat that I remember. You know, we maybe had pizza nights on Fridays, but we definitely had a lot of family meals at home that were cooked by her and or my grandparents. So as you got older, and it sounds like, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, food was medicine in a very emotional way. Food was an indicator of how good you were doing. How did that impact you as you got older and perhaps cooking for yourself? Or maybe it didn't. Oh, that's a good question. I think I had that food-oriented nature from my grandparents and extended family, but I also watched my mom work with her own body image issues that probably stemmed from when she was a child, sort of unresolved issues. And it was like the 80s and 90s, so it was very, it was like that low-fat like diet culture that was starting to emerge. So I also got influenced by that, just watching her go through her journey. So I think I did have an innate message to myself that food was a reward and I, and I could use it as reward or punishment, which I think is a really unhealthy relationship. It's an unhealthy association. I think that a lot of people listening can relate to that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's food and exercise, I notice, like movement. You know, I'm a movement professional, so it's like I see that happening with movement and exercise all the time. And I I guess I hadn't really, of course, I was conscious of the food aspect of it, but I didn't realize how present it was in my body, mm. in my psyche. I try not to live that way. I think I'm gradually becoming more conscious, but it's certainly there. You know, it's interesting because you had an Instagram post before the holidays and it really, it sparked an Instagram post for me talking about food, this kind of capitalistic view that we have of food where food, we kind of see it, especially I think for those of us who did grow up in the 80s and 90s, it's an input versus output equation. And oh, yeah. I think with food and exercise, that's kind of absolutely what I was taught. Like, you eat this much, you better work it off this much instead of oh yeah, a food as a more of a like a nurturing, soft, gentle relationship. I think both of us realize now it's not input versus output. <laughs> it's not how the way our bodies right. work. And the way even with movement, there's times in my life where I have a lot of energy and movement feels really good. And there's times in my life where I need a lot of rest and I'm getting better, I think, at honoring those cycles. Mm. But it wasn't what I was taught. Right. Right. That makes all the sense when you say it, like made me exhale. Yeah, that's... What I 
attempt to bring to my clientele about movement and exercise. And I think what you're trying to do with food, which is why we connected so much and we wanted to merge our worlds. Well, that gets me to my next question because last week we taught a class together called Intuitive Eating and Yoga, and it was a really powerful class. And I approached the class from the food perspective and you dove into yoga and the body, but also the nervous system. And this topic, I haven't been able to stop thinking about. So before we kind of get into it, I guess I'll ask you how you became interested in the nervous system, and then we can kind of start to unravel what the nervous system even is. Yes. So I think that what I didn't know that I didn't know before I knew about the nervous system, (laughs) I didn't know that I didn't know that we can't really talk about like almost anything else without holding that, holding and knowing that system, our inner workings. What I notice when I work with people, people with pain, people with chronic illness, people with a static injury, you know, an injury that just happened when they were doing X activity or something more chronic. And when I listen to my own body, when I like have pains myself or when I'm experiencing anxiety, whatever it might be, is that even when like that symptom, whatever, you know, brought them to me or brought myself to me, (laughs) even when that resolves, like even when I don't have that pain anymore or it changes or it shifts, the work can always continue. It's not ever like the exercises, the yoga pose, whatever. It's not that that creates the lasting change, actually. (laughs) The lasting change comes more when we learn to listen, when we learn to commit to a deeper relationship with ourselves on all levels. I just got chills all up and down my body. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, me too. I, I get it too. Like, and I know this, but then I forget it. So it's important to keep learning. So my approach now, like, I can't not hold that. I can't not go there. So learning to listen, is that learning to listen starting with the nervous system? Do you start there before you go deeper? Yes. And, you know, you mentioned before, like the first thing we did together was breath work and breathing is one of my favorite tools and one of the first tools that I use with myself and with others to access the nervous system. You know, the breath is like always right right here. Like we always have the breath. We don't need anything else. And so if we're practiced in that, we set ourselves up to regulate our nervous system. You know, I work work with myself (laughs) because I'm on my own wild and crazy journey with anxiety and ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. And when I started to learn about my brain and like how I'm wired, it was like so liberating to learn that like, there's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with anyone. And the responses that I was experiencing in my body, it's an attempt at my system trying to regulate it's an attempt at keeping me safe. It's a very smart thing that my body's trying to do. And so to learn how I'm wired, it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is, yeah, it was very liberating. And it also put a lot of tools at my fingertips. So what is the nervous system for those of us who aren't versed in this language? And I think all of us have a sense of kind of like the flight and flight, right? like the flight or fight, you know, but yeah. 
Yeah. Can you just like describe what this is? Yes. Simply put, we're referring to the autonomic nervous system, which is sort of conducted or regulated by what's called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is one of our cranial nerves. So it comes from our brain, our brain stem. And when I learned about the vagus nerve, it like really shifted a lot of things for me. So I talk a lot about the polyvagal theory. And sort of the old model of the autonomic nervous system is what we know to be as, you know, our fight or flight response. So that's called our sympathetic nervous system. And that's our accelerator, right? What causes the response to fight or flight. And, you know, now in our modern world, it doesn't always look like fight with our fists or flight with our feet, you know, run away. It can look like a lot of other things, which we may or may not get to in this conversation, but it's very complex as to how that can show up in our bodies in our modern world where, you know, we're not fighting a bear or running away from a bear, but we are having other responses and other sort of bodily experiences that feel quite like that. And then we have the other, so this is still, again, the old model, sympathetic, and then parasympathetic, which is like our break, right? So like rest and digest. And the old model kind of says like one response is good, the other is bad, one is the up, the other is the down, one is, you know, uh, very binary. Good and bad. It was very, yeah. yeah, it was very polarized, very polarized. So the polyvagal theory was developed by a doctor by the name of Porges. And so if anybody's interested, you can look up Stephen Porges and, you know, learn more about that. There's a lot of wonderful resources. He has a lot of resources online. Be careful about other <laughs> resources of the polyvagal theory. I mean, there are other good ones, certainly, but there's also a lot of misinformation on the internet. So just be I can commiserate of that. that in the food world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Misinformation. Of course. So the polyvagal theory is a little bit more nuanced. And it's that the vagus nerve has two branches. We still have our sympathetic nervous system, which is, again, that fight or flight response. But then our vagus nerve has two branches. One is the dorsal vagal branch, which is considered like numbing, shutting down, freeze, right? This is, yeah, this is kind of that down energy. And then the ventral vagal branch, which is more balanced. This branch, when we're sort of in this state and we're in this response, we are secure, we can socially engage, we can digest our food, we can sleep well, we can have healthy relationships, healthy exchanges, and, you know, I'm not even going into our organ function, but it definitely influences all of these nervous system responses greatly influence our organs, our heart, our lungs, our digestive organs, our metabolic system. So a lot of, a lot more complex than that. Yeah, you have to start here. I am starting to see that. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Yeah, but you know, the theory is that it teaches that there's a spectrum that we're on. So it's not like I'm here, here, or here. Like there's a spectrum or like a ladder on which we climb up or down. And we all have a different capacity to feel balanced, right? Like we all have what's called the window of tolerance. So my window of tolerance might be different from your window of tolerance. My window of tolerance today might be different than what my window of tolerance was when I was, you know, 18 <laughs> or something. <Yep. laughs> Um, so that definitely changes as we change. And different stressors in our lives may shift where we are on the spectrum. 
And the goal is not to stay balanced all the time. Like a healthy nervous system is not always relaxed, is not always balanced. I love to hear this. Right? (laughs) Isn't that good news? (laughs) A healthy nervous system needs to be challenged. We need stressors and then we need the ability to recover. We need tools to recover. And that recovery is probably the thing that's important. How do we learn how to recover Mm, when we do get stressed? Totally. And, you know, there's also times in our lives that we need, right? So if like I'm in the balanced state, if I'm like sort of in the middle, this is an example. I need a little bit of that sympathetic activity, that fight or flight activity, if I am going to drive on the Taconic at night, <laughs> right? Like I need a little oh, bit, so a little hint yeah. Yeah. of like increased increased attention, you know, a little hypervigilance like a, or vigilance, I'll call it, right? Hypervigilance is like the extreme, but you know, I need a little bit of that spark if I want to stay attentive, you know, or like if I'm playing like a competitive game or something along those lines where you want a little bit of umph, you want a little bit of spice. You know, it reminds me of cooking because as I sit here, cooking for me is at one time and in one place, cooking can be very relaxing for me and -hmm. just kind of like slow. But there are times when I love the energy and that seven things are cooking at once and I get in this dance state and it's definitely elevated. I'm definitely Mm. like present Mm. and tuned in, but like I got to be, I got to be in that like upper, keeping my eye on everything. But there's something exciting about that. There's something fun about that. Oh, totally. I don't want to cook like that all the time, though. I also want those times where it's just... And you don't want to stay there when it's like time for bed. No, this is why I don't work in restaurant kitchens. <laughs> yeah. Well, which right. I've done I mean, and which I do not enjoy because you're very much in that hyper state. But that's interesting to hear that we go back and forth and that it's not necessarily good or bad all the time. Right? Absolutely. You know, and to give you kind of like an example on the flip side is that, you know, if I want to enjoy a quiet meal with my loved one and I really want to digest my food well, I want to be balanced, of course, but I also need a little bit of that, you know, dorsal vagal state. I need a little bit of that downward tone to my energy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what really gets my digestive juices flowing. And it gets me very present and relaxed in my body. That's where I love learning about this because our nervous system directly influences our digestion. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming and must, right? And so I see digestion from a very energetical place where if we are, t- I mean, I had, I literally had indigestion for five years after my youngest daughter was born because she mm. was, I love you, Junie, but she was a hard little baby and a hard toddler. And I would go from rushing from work to cooking to eating, and I would never pause. I would never take a breath. She was a fussy baby at the dinner table. And all of that built up, my digestion was so poor. And I never, until until I kind of hit, you know, the wall with it and realized, wait a minute, I can see this pattern and I can see what's going on and I can see how fast I'm moving and I'm not even breathing through any of this. But while I was in it, I couldn't see it. And I now looking back, I can see, yeah, my nervous system was like, whoa, come dinner time. I mean, I've had a meditation practice for a very long time in the morning. All was good. But then I'd like get in the kitchen and everything would be thrown out the window. (laughs) 
And I've been bringing that back in. Yeah. Yes, it's a practice. And I've been bringing all of those practices back in, really, as I now can see, these are nervous system practices in some way of breathing before I always take two deep breaths before I start cooking and before I start eating. And I engage my senses. And while for me, this was kind of like a way to bring more ease and joy into the process of cooking, this was also calming my nervous system. So what is that connection between food and the nervous system? Yeah, well, actually, the vagus nerve is actually also called the gut brain Mm. and and the heart brain. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. So, you know, put very simply, well, all the time, our body is always giving cues, like always firing, always giving us like subtle cues unless they need to be louder, right? They start subtle. And when we don't listen, they get louder, right? But always giving subtle cues, asking for attention here or there, asking for balance, where it's needed. And this like internal messaging system is called interoception. So we think of our senses as being sight, smell, taste, hearing, you know, touch. But we actually have a sixth sense (laughs) and it's called interoception. And it's more complex than I'm saying now, but it's basically our capacity to decipher these internal cues and sensations that we're feeling in our bodies and then decide what we need based on those sensations. So, you know, if we're constantly dysregulated or if we get stuck, you know, in that high energy like you were talking about, you're like, you know, I don't want to cook like this all the time. Or, you know, if we get stuck, you know, in that sympathetic response or we're getting pulled down into that dorsal vagal state and we can't rebalance, we don't have tools to rebalance or we don't even know that we're not balanced, we really get mixed up with the cues, right? We can't accurately decipher what the cues are telling us to do. You know, it's easy to get the wires crossed. So for example, you know, do you ever eat when you're bored? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like you're not hungry. Like it's not hunger. You know, we eat when we're bored or we don't eat when we're stressed, you know, when we're anxious or vice versa. You know, these can go both ways because people manifest these things in all different ways. But, you know, we scroll on our phones when we're feeling sad or, you know, when we're lonely. (laughs) We just want to go to sleep when we're in pain or we can't sleep when we're overly tired. You know, it's like these like things get really, really mixed up. So we're finding, we're seeking something to fix the problem, but the thing we're seeking is not the cause of the problem. Is that right? Like we're seeking almost like these numbing behaviors, like, oh, I'm Mm. so bored. I'm just going to like eat something. Mm. But actually the boredom is coming from somewhere else. Oh, for sure. I mean, these are all ways of scratching an itch. (laughs) You know, we're scratching like a deep itch and we're not quite dropped in enough to our own system and quite practiced in a relationship with ourselves that, you know, it manifests in all kinds of ways. I mean, we're all addicted to something. And, you know, these little glass rectangles that we carry around in our hands all the time, like that's, you know, those are big back scratchers for people. And, you know, food can also be among many other things, many other things, but we're specifically talking about, you know, food here, you know, but then a little more complexly is like actually down to the cellular level. We can't digest food properly when we're dysregulated. Yeah, I can feel that in my body. But Mm. it's taken me years to understand that connection. And I didn't have a language for it until you and I started talking. So how do we know when we're dysregulated? 
And how do we get back? Oh, such a good question. (laughs) There are so many symptoms of a dysregulated nervous system that oftentimes look like other things and oftentimes come as a result of other things as well. So it helps to know, like if I tend to lean towards the fight or flight response, right? Like if that's my go-to, if I am a high tension kind of person and I'm on, you know, fast forward mode all the time, it helps to know that our digestive system functions are actually very slowed down when we're in that state. It kind of doesn't make sense. You would think it's the opposite. So think about, you know, evolutionarily speaking, if we're running from a bear (laughs) or if we're fighting the bear, we can't use energy to digest food. Like we need to conserve our energy. Yeah. So we're not going to have the right hormones released in our system, our motility, right? The muscle contractions that move food through our system. That's not where we're using our energy. We're using our energy in our large limb muscles, you know? And then vice versa, you know, if we're stuck in that freeze or numb or low energy mode, our digestive system works overtime, right? Like it senses, I don't have enough energy. Maybe I need to break down some oh, food, right? Maybe interesting. I need to... Yeah. yeah. Right? So it tries to make up for the fact that you are feeling so low. Exactly. Like it tries to, yeah, it tries to overcompensate. Our bodies are always doing that. They're trying to help. You know, these responses are like, it's a very smart, you know, like we have to like thank our body, like thank you body for trying to keep me safe. Like these, these evolved over time, you know, evolutionarily, like out of necessity so that we would stay alive. Like it's our survival brain. And, you know, we evolved into higher thinking beings and we do have the ability to decipher the threats, but our bodies don't know the difference. Like that's yeah. not conscious. Like a yeah. threat is a threat. And our higher thinking minds can say like, wait, is this like fact that I'm stuck in traffic and I'm late for a meeting? Like, that's not going to kill me. I don't have to have the same, you know, yeah. but like but first we have to, first we have to like be in touch with what that response feels like in our bodies or else we can't, we, we don't connect to that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, there are countless signs and symptoms, but some of them, just to name a few, is interestingly enough, chronic pain, which can either be the stressor or the stress response. A lot of times it's both. Right. Right. (laughs) Digestive disturbances. And, you know, we always want to like determine with the help of medical professionals, whether our digestive issues are like structural or physical, you know, diet related or nervous system related. And most often it's a combo. So like, you know, you don't want to assume like, just because I'm having stomach pain, I must be stressed. I need to do a practice. Like you also want to, <laughs> you also want to check that out. Like it's it, very important to rule out anything that's going to threaten your health. But yeah, sleep disturbances, irritability, emotional swings, brain fog, memory stuff, attention span issues, you know, the list goes on. It can, yeah. It, there, there's really a lot there. It's so interesting. Last week, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is when this podcast, so we're recording this, um, (laughs) but my podcast launched last week and I was having a somatic, a bodily fear and it would come and go and it was like a, like a titan. All of a sudden I'd be sitting there doing nothing and all of a sudden I'd be like, and I'd have this fear response Mm. and it took me first I felt like, okay, I need to acknowledge that I'm having this fear response. Yes. And I feel like just acknowledging it is 
a major step in easing it. Even, even though the fear response persisted, I could see it and be, and I could say to myself, Oh, that's just fear. I can sit in the fear. My life is not threatened right now. The fear is coming from a deep subconscious place. I will sit with you, but I don't need to change you. And I'm not going to let that fear. What I think I would have done in the past when I was a younger person was that fear would have caused me to go do something to kind of numb it. And I don't know what that thing would have been, like maybe exercise, over-exercise or mm-hmm. something to have given me a sense of control. But I think what I'm trying to say is like, if we can name, if we can like feel these things that come in through our body and if we can name them, then it gives us that little bit of space, right? It feels like you have a little bit of space so you can be like, wait, how do I want to react to this? Like, what's the action going to be? Or maybe there's absolutely no need for action. Maybe I just need to sit here with it. Oh my gosh. Oh all the sense. Like that is perfection, what you just said. Like that's, that's exactly it. I mean, and that comes from a deep place of like self-compassion. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just to, and that, and that again is yoga. Mm. It's how do I show up for what's present right here and now without wanting to change it, without going on with a story about it. Just like, this is what's here. This is what's here. So when those things show up and we're feeling stressed, we're feeling anxiety and we can name it and we can say, or maybe we're feeling so low and so sluggish and we can name it and we can have compassion for it and not judge ourselves for it. I know that there are a few easy tools that you can probably give us to come back into our body, to connect, to calm or to bring up. I know in working with you that breath work has been really powerful for me in either <laughs> calming the nervous system and in some time like invigorating myself to get moving <laughs> when I am in that kind of like stuck, overwhelmed state. So do you have yeah. any tips? Oh, I do. And you already introduced one when you were saying, you know, when I can name it, it's very liberating to say something, to call it what it is, to say it out loud or, you know, in your mind, but name it. It's very, very powerful. So one of my favorite go-tos is like a body scan and name the sensations. Mm. So we can do this with physical sensations. We can do it with pain. We can do it with hunger or something that we are, you know, interpreting as hunger and we're not quite sure. We can do it with thirst. We can do it with emotional feelings. Whatever arises, we can do this. And even if it's emotional in nature, even if you're feeling sad or the fear, like you said, I was feeling fear in my body, right? Our emotions live in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Whatever is in our head is in our body. Ah, right. Yeah. So I like to either sit or lay down and start at the very top of my head and bring my awareness, however slow or fast, you know, resonates with people if people are trying this at home, bring the awareness through the body from the head into the face, into the neck and shoulders, down the arms, into the hands, down the front of the body, the chest, the ribs, the belly, the spine from the neck down to the lower back. 
the pelvis and the hips, the thighs, the knees, the lower legs, the ankles, the feet, and out through the toes. And so whatever position you're in, you can do this in any position. See what's talking. If there's a sensation anywhere, stay with it for a few breaths. And I love to use the phrase, here and now I feel. (laughs) And we might have a tendency to sort of go on in our minds like, oh, you know, here in my shoulder now, I feel a tightness. Oh, well, that's because I have bad posture. You know, we might have a tendency to attach, (laughs) attach reasoning or story or dialogue about it. And the practice is really just to give it, describe the sensation. Here and now I feel a tightness. Here and now I feel a burn. Here and now I feel a poke, right? Whatever it might be. Or here and now I feel joy. Here and now I feel fullness. Here and now I feel space. It can be anything. And taking a few breaths with just those describing words with the intention of allowing it to be exactly as it is without changing it is very powerful. It's full acceptance, isn't it? In my body, the way I feel that is when I fully accept something, I stop resisting it. And when I stop resisting it, guess what? It can move through me. (laughs) But when I try to battle something within my body, it gets even more deeply lodged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, again, it comes from a place of self-compassion. We don't need any extra blame or shame or judgment about what we're feeling. If we're already, especially if what we're already feeling is hard. (laughs) Thank you. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll also just say that there are different approaches. You know, this technique, if it's not resonating, like, that's okay. There are a vast variety of approaches for folks if they really want to get in touch with their nervous system. There are what's called top-down tools, um, which work with how our thoughts and beliefs, like, affect Our system affect our bodies, which can be very powerful. This is like psychotherapy, group therapy, awareness practices like meditation, you know, affirmations and intention setting. So these can be really, really great tools for people who that sort of resonates with, like that top-down approach from my brain to my body. And if that tends to not work for you, the bottom-up approach is using our body and our breath to connect to our brain, to affect our brain. This is like breathing exercises, movement, you know, postural you know, positioning, body work, play, <laughs> and even certain foods and drinks. Mm. <laughs> right? Like how does a mug of hot tea make you feel if your energy is is up high, right? Or if your energy is down low, how does like a really, you know, citrusy sip of, you know, sip of water feel with a, like a squeeze of lemon, you know? So it's understanding that interoception sense, yeah, um, which the practices like the body scan can really help hone that sense. Then we start to know like what works for us, you know, what tools will work for us. 
Yeah, because the vagus nerve is a two-way street, right? So information goes from our brain to down into our body, but also from our body up into our brain. So if we can oh, see that you and said man- it. like manipulate, not manipulate that, that's the wrong word, but to, we can, we can come at it from both ways. Like how, what kind of, that just gives you an extra, for me, it's like, oh, this extra little superpower where my oh, body is absolutely. feeling this way. Let's bring it up to my brain or vice versa. There's knowledge both places. Oh, you are so saying it. And you're also, it's, you're holding two truths. Like it's not the brain that directs the body and it's not the body that directs the brain. Like they have a symbiotic relationship. And part of the reason why I love breath so much, (laughs) I love breath so much. Part of the reason why that's like one of my favorite things like in the world is because our respiratory system is the only, so it's one of our autonomic nervous system functions, right? The others are like our cardiovascular system, our digestive system, our metabolic system, right? Those things are always happening all the time. They happen automatically in our sleep. We're not thinking about it. We're digesting food. Our heart is beating. You know, there's a lot of things going on without our conscious decision-making to make it happen. But our respiratory system is the only autonomic function that is both, Mm. right? It's going all the time. We're breathing, even when we're not thinking about it. And then we can also consciously change the breath at any moment in time. I've never realized that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's both voluntary and involuntary. So that's my next go-to tool. So the first was the body scan with naming the sensations. And the second tool is, well, the most basic breathing pattern. If you've never worked with your breath before, there's something in the yoga practice called samavritti. And this is equal breath, right? It just means equal breath. So it's like a one-to-one ratio. So I like it because it's very accessible. You can do it anywhere. And you can also pace yourself quite easily. You don't have to match anybody else's breath. But you would start by just first paying attention to how your breath feels naturally and not try to change it. And you can bring a count to your in-breath and whatever that count was. So maybe you only breathed in for two. You try to breathe out for two. So you match the exhale to the inhale. And then over time, it might feel accessible to increase, right, just by one beat, the in-breath and the out-breath and kind of settling at a comfortable rhythm. And then we start to, like this rhythm starts to like naturally soothe the nervous system, right? There's like a pulsating thing that we sort of like, our internal workings are just like vibing with or pulsating with. It's very similar to rocking a baby or, you know, if we like a baby, it occupies something in our brains that like, then we don't want to be so busy. We don't want to be so scattered. It brings us, it hones our attention. So it's a lovely practice. And there's lots of ways you can refine that and work with that. But Samavrti is very basic, very accessible, and extremely powerful. Sam, thank you so much. (laughs) I feel so calm and content just from hearing you, just from witnessing and practicing these practices with you. And I hope that those of you listening out there, I hope you give these a try. Can you let us know where we can find you <laughs> in oh the my world? Gosh, I'm, I'm hidden, I'm hidden, Nikki. <laughs> I am, I'm a little hidden. 
I need help getting more present on social media and on the the internet. I'm much better in person, one-on-one. So, oh my gosh, I would love to meet you all in person. (laughs) But yeah, my website is fullbeingphysicaltherapy.com, full with one L, beingphysicaltherapy.com. My Instagram page is fullbeingcollective, and I'm not that active on there, but there's a little little something on there. And I hope to do another intuitive eating and yoga workshop with you, Nikki, upcoming. So your folks will definitely hear about that. I want to thank you for these amazing teachings, for introducing us to the nervous system and for giving us all some, oh gosh, I'm going to say this, food for thought. Sorry, that was bad. But the <laughs> nervous system, how it influences how we're eating and how we're feeling and mm, I just feel like being granted this knowledge, just like you said, makes me feel more compassionate for myself. And if there's a better gift out there, I don't know what it is. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your beautiful breathwork practices with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be connected to you in this way and to connect with your community. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food, and by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.